Uh, if you got a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy. Maybe I can figure that one out. Chapter 5. We are in the middle of our series of Deuteronomy. We're well on our way. We have uh, worked our way through several uh, chapters, and we have come to a point where last week we had started the uh, Ten Commandments, and I wanted to uh, finish them up today and talk about them. And as we uh, think about Deuteronomy, we know it's a mixture of the old and the new. And uh, 50% of what we read in Deuteronomy has already been given in Scripture, uh, the understanding of it through Exodus and Levit- Leviticus and some of the others. So uh, as well as 50% of it is new events and also uh, a more uh, in-depth understanding of what happened in the past. And so Moses goes back and he reviews some of the things that he had uh, talked about originally, and he goes back and really gives us a lot of depth to it. And really, this is where the Bible changes in the Old Testament. It's like the, uh, the acts of the Old Testament in the, in the sense that it transitions from understanding who God is and God's people, and it really transitions into the depth of our hearts and our love and our, and our soul before the Lord. And so Deuteronomy is a very interesting book. It's a very important book. And one of those things that we began to discuss last week that Moses began to review and explain the second giving of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, as we know, through the first trip through the wilderness and into the, going to the promised land. God had delivered the nation of Israel, or the Israelites, it wasn't a nation yet, they called out on God, we are under bondage, we need you to save us, we need you to rescue us. And God delivered them out of that bondage and promised them, you will be my people and I will be your God. I'm going to take you and make you a great nation and I will give you a land to possess. That's where the promised land comes from. We talk about the promised land. It was a promise from God that the Israelites would be able to possess this land and to be able to be a nation that represented God to the rest of the world. And on that journey to the promised land was the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God began to communicate with them. He began to reveal to the Israelites who he was and what type of God he was. And, and one of the major revelations to them and in the Bible was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, as we will read and understand, uh, is much more than just a list of rules. They're more than just some laws to keep. They're more than just do's and don'ts. Uh, they literally are an extension of God's holiness and His character. And they also uh, uh, show us the, 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 the way that we are obedient to God through our heart and through also our outward obedience rules to outwardly be obeyed. And God led the Israelites up to the Jordan River. And as he was going to uh, take them into the promised land, they compromised. We remember the story. They got there. And God wanted them to take the land. He said he was going to fight for them. And they were just to possess the land. But yet they compromised and they wanted to do God's will their own way. And is that not where we make a lot of mistakes in our life? That we know what God's will is, but we try to do it our way. And so they tried to do it their own way. And uh, God's will must be done God's way. And so as a consequence to being disobedient to God... He said, because of your lack of faith, because of your disobedience, the first generation will not see the promised land of the Israelites. He said, you will turn back into the wilderness 
And you will go back into the wilderness and you will not see the promised land. And your leader, Moses, would not see the promised land either. I'm going to raise up another leader named Joshua, and he is going to be the leader of the next generation to be able to go into the promised land. And so God did not throw away the older generation. What he did was he took their mess and began to make a message out of it. Praise God for that, right? Because we all make mistakes and we all shrink away from God sometimes. And so even in the midst of their consequences, God began to take the older generation and begin to use them to mold and to prepare the new generation for the taking of the promised land. And their job was to pass the baton, so to speak, right? And as we know, as we watched, uh, this is the Winter Olympics, but if you watch the Olympics, you watch any track meet, uh, when they do the relay, the most important part is, is trading the baton or passing of the baton. The other person has to be ready to receive it, and the person has to be to get there to actually hand it off to the next person, and then they take the next lap for the team. Well, that's what we see here. We see the older generation going to take the baton and pass it to the new generation, and, and God wants to use the new generation in a way that He couldn't use the older generation. And you know, for us as parents and grandparents, isn't that what we would desire for our kids and our grandkids? Hey, let me give you something and my relationship and fellowship with God so that you can go do something that I never did in my life, that I want you to do better. I want you to have a more godly marriage. I want you to have a better family. I want you to have more purpose in your life for the Lord. And and God was teaching them, take what you have, give it to the next generation so they can go do something that you were not able to do. And as they were doing this, one of the things that God revisits is the Ten Commandments. And you know, it's amazing to me because when you get to the Ten Commandments, they don't change. Deuteronomy means second law, but we already talked about this is the second giving of the same law. And where God left off in the Ten Commandments in the beginning is the same Ten Commandments because God is immutable. He doesn't change. And what we're going to learn through this and through Deuteronomy, even through your own life, is you're going to learn that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust in God. We can know who He is. We know He is faithful. He does not change. And so he comes to the nation of Israel and say, okay, the older generation heard it and they changed, but I'm coming now to tell you I haven't changed. These are my Ten Commandments. This is what I want you to understand in your life. This is the declaration I want to give to you. And he opens the Ten Commandments with a proclamation. And I talked about it last week, and it's hard to believe that all these years I've studied the Bible that I overlooked the first proclamation of uh, before the Ten Commandments. But in verse 6 of chapter 5, God begins to speak, and He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And specifically, He says, I am your God. He tells the nation of Israel, this is a personal proclamation before even giving one commandment. Before the nation of Israel could even be obedient enough to keep one commandment, God established a relationship with them. He said, listen, it's not going to be you keep these Ten Commandments and then you can have a relationship with me. No. He says, you have a relationship with me. I have proclaimed you my people and I am your God. And so now I give you these Ten Commandments, not as a relationship, but as a fellowship. And for us, it's important to remember this, and especially through the Old Testament, we see this happening in the life of Israel. 
they began to under, they began to come to the point to where they they started to believe and trust in an outward appearance of keeping laws and commandments. Like if we can keep the Ten Commandments, if we can keep these uh, commandments of the Lord, then God would love us, and God would love us more. But as you know, the outward appearance of keeping rules and regulations is not what a relationship with God is based upon. A relationship with God is based upon Him being God and Him being a merciful and gracious God and giving favor to those who call upon His name. That's what happened in the nation of Israel. And not because of who they were and what they could do. No, a relationship is on His love, His grace, and His mercy. And if you look through the nation of Israel and history of the nation of Israel, what happened to them when Christ came to talk to the Pharisees, remember what they were saying, we kept the law. We have over 700 laws now, and we are, we are morally square. We keep these laws. But Jesus looks at him and says, you're, you're full of dead men's bones. Your hearts have never been changed. Because pleasing God or a relationship with God is not based upon keeping a law or a rule. And, you know, for us, as we even look to our modern day Christianity, there are a lot of people that try to please God or gain his favor by keeping a list of rules or a list of commandments. And let me tell you, you're never going to keep enough rules. You're never going to keep enough commandments. It won't happen. You cannot ever make yourself so uh, uh, pleasing to God that He will love you. No, you will come to the understanding that outwardly keeping a law or commandment will never make you good enough to be saved because we are all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that in our sin, Christ loved us so much that He died for us. And because when we call upon His name, He will save us. Not because you have tried harder, or because you have kept the Ten Commandments, or because you keep a list of rules, but because of who He is and what He has done. And He is our God. He is our Savior. He saves our lives, not based upon what we can earn, but based upon who He is and what He has done. And as God proclaims the relationship, He now gives the Ten Commandments as guidelines. He gives them as guardrails for them to keep fellowship with Him. Now, in a relationship, you know there's a relationship and there's fellowship. Fellowship with God is what we want. We want to be in His will. We want Him to bless our lives. We do not want the consequences of sin. And so God says, because you are my people... Not that I will love you more, but because of this obedience, I want you to understand that these are some guardrails I want you to keep. And the promise is of the relationship stays true, but the Ten Commandments are principles of fellowship we have with Him. Here is what I want you to have in your life so that you can please me, that we can be in God's will together, and we can have fellowship together. Listen, we do not keep God's commandments for a relationship we keep His commandments because of our relationship with God. That's very important. And listen, maybe you're struggling with your salvation, and maybe you feel like you've always tried harder, you've been baptized 10 times, or you've been joined 15 different churches. Listen, you're never going to be able to keep enough rules to gain the favor of God. The relationship with God comes from His love, and once you have that relationship, then you want the fellowship with God. And God tells you, you want fellowship, here is how it happens. These are the guardrails I want to give my people so that they can guard their hearts to have good fellowship with me and keep in my will. And we talk about this a lot. When we love God, these are not a burden. These are a delight. 
Listen, when you love your spouse, it's Valentine's Day, by the way, guys, all right? If you didn't know that, you better get to the places right in this afternoon, okay? Or tomorrow morning, okay? It's, it's Valentine's Day. And when you love someone, it's not a duty to have to please them or to want to love them or to have fellowship with them. It is a delight. It is a desire that you naturally have because you have a relationship with them. And this is, what, this is what he's trying to teach him here. And this is what we must understand with God. These Ten Commandments are not a duty. They are a delight that when we have these in our life, they are guardrails and they keep us in fellowship with God and keep us in fellowship with one another so that we can enjoy the blessings of God in our life. And he begins with four commandments. And the four commandments, we talked about this last week, and we went over each one of them. I'm just going to run through them real quick to, to sum them up. But we, we, we know that Jesus said in the New Testament that these four commandments can be summed up by one commandment. The love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so the first four have to do with our upper, upward relationship with God. Number one in verse seven of chapter five, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this is number one. It's important. It's more important than all the rest of them. What God does is he sets the expectations for our life. If you're in relationship with me, I'm not taking second place to anything else or anyone else. That I must be first place. You will not have anything other ranking in your heart that's over me. I am first and foremost number one. Number two, he says, you shall make no for yourself no carved image or likeness of anything in heaven above or anything in the earth beneath that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of, uh, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So now he says, I am a God who loves you, but I also do not want you to make any carved image. And what was happening in those nations where they were carved these images of the sun god or the moon god, and they would have tangible items that they would look to to have faith in their god. Well, what God was saying is, you're, you're my people, and you're going to live by faith. You're going to trust in me regardless of what you see. And this is so hard sometimes, but this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is really where they failed at the Jordan River. They didn't see how they were going to conquer the land. They didn't see how the Jordan River is going to be parted. And so because of their lack of faith, they wanted to see something tangible. But God says, when you trust in me, it's not tangible. You shall not make anything of this earth because you trust in me by faith. And you trust in me and believe in me and me alone. And nothing you have in your life should be a carved image that you trust in it more than you trust in God. And so he says, have no other gods before me. Make no carved image that you will worship over me. Number three, he said, you shall not take the, uh, the, Lord's, uh, uh, the Lord your God in vain. And we say, oh, well, got that one covered because I don't say his name in vain. But we talked about the depth of that. That when we represent God, we can take his name in vain or bring vanity to his name when we don't represent God and who he is in our life. And we can do that by the way we treat our spouse. We can do that by the way we treat our neighbor. We can do that by the way we treat our, former, our, our fellow church members. We can, we can claim the name of God, but treat them in such a way that it brings dishonor to the name of the Lord. That's taking God's name in vain. And so he says, no other gods, no carved image. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Then the, the, the 
The fourth one, he says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord has commanded you. Basically, regardless of where you are, every week you must come back and reset and put God back in his proper place and completely rest to worship God for one whole day and bring your heart to the Lord and keep it and keep the Sabbath day holy. Those are the first four. That's our upper relationship. Today, we're going to get to the last six. And you say, wow, that's pretty impressive. I went to school in Alabama. I got 10 fingers. I don't have real trouble with that, all right? So four plus six equals 10, all right? That's where we go to 10 commandments. So six commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. So our upward relationship and now our outward relationship. Jesus summed this up by saying the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as you have loved yourself. See that? Two commandments, he says, hangs all the law of the prophets Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. And now he says to love your neighbor as you have loved yourself. The last six have to do with how we deal with people or how we put guardrails in our life for people. So uh, let's dive into the next six. Number one, uh, which, is the, which is the fifth, uh, fifth commandment. He says, honor your, uh, your father and your mother. Uh, verse 16. I'm sorry. Honor your mother, your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that you may be well, uh, that you may be well in your, in, uh, with you in the land which, you're, which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 17. You shall not murder. Verse 18. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 19. You shall not steal. Verse 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, obviously, we don't have time to dig deep into each one, but I want to consider each one. And I want to think about this, how it keeps us from our hearts from being obedient to God's will and fellowship in our life. Number one, honor your father and your mother as God has commanded you. Now, God begins with honoring your father and mother because this is important because this is how God designed creation. God designed the family. God created the family. It was God's first tool that he uses to establish a relationship with God. And this is so important for us to remember because first and foremost, above anything else, the home should be the main discipleship place for our children. That for children to learn about God and to be guided into a relationship comes naturally through their mom and dad. That's the way it should be. And as parents are, are, are put in kids' lives to parent them, one of the most important things to do as a believer in God and a Christian is to shepherd them into a relationship with God. I know we as, as parents sometimes, we, 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 we kind of forget this challenge. We forget this command here. And it's our parents' desire, it should be our desire that when our children leave our home or when they leave under, uh, under our care and our caretaking, that first and foremost, they know what a relationship with God is and that they love the Lord their God with all their heart and their soul and their mind because their parents taught them that. Their parents discipled in them that. And listen, it, may we never lose focus in that, that the primary representative of God in, in, in our children's life is their parents. Like for me, for my kids, I, the first representation of God in their life was me to my children. And, and God put it that way so that we can impact our children, so that we can teach them the, the things of God. And, and, you know, may we never lose focus of that. Because a lot of people say, well, that's the government's job. Well, I'm thankful it's not the government's job, right? 
I mean, could you imagine the government trying to teach our kids about God? That's not the government's job. It's not the community's job. It's not the school's job. It's not, it's not none of these jobs. It's not the church's job. We can aid it. We can bring it. We can help it. We can help supplement that. It, it, it's the parent's job. And we as parents must take the responsibility to be intentional to pass down and instill in them the knowledge and understanding of God. And when we do that, children should honor their father and their mother. That's the way it works. And, and listen, when we rebel against our parents, especially when we're younger, it's not really so much rebellion against parents, it's a rebellion against God. Because when we rebel against God, we were rebelling against, when we rebel against our parents, we we're rebelling against the authority that God put in our life. And our children must learn there's accountability. There is there's accountability in their life. Because if they don't get it at home, guess what? They start school. And when they go to school, guess who they're disobedient to? Guess who they do not, do not honor? They do not honor their teachers. They do not honor their principals. And then guess who, after they get out in life, guess who they don't honor? They don't honor their spouses. They don't honor their family. They don't, they don't honor police officers. They don't honor the military. They don't honor the, 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 the structure that God has put in their life. And dishonor, dishonoring your parents begins with dishonoring God. And it goes from there. And, it, and as we, as a child... We should always honor our parents and, our, and the hearts they have to, to disciple us. Listen, I know this is hard because I grew up and I know what it's like. And I know the three stages of, uh, I was thinking about this this last week. I know the three stages we go through our relationship with parents, right? Number one, first we idolize our parents, right? And when we're younger, we think our parents can do anything. You know, when I was, uh, when my boys were younger, they thought I could do anything. And now they're realizing I'm falling a little bit short of that, all right? Especially this week when Tanner bench pressed 380 pounds of his weightlifting meat. He says, Dad, you can still do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I might get out of bed in the morning, but I'm not going to put up 380 pounds. There's no way. And yet when they're younger, they think, man, my dad can do anything. My mom can do anything. They, they idolize you. But then when the teenagers happen, guess what? You demonize your parents. All of a sudden, it's your parents' fault. You can't have any fun. You can't wear the clothes you want to wear. You, won't, you can't do this. They, can't, they make you work. They make you clean your room. They're just being mean to you. They're, 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 just, they're demonized, right? But then, eventually, you humanize your parents. You realize that God put them in your life to shepherd you, to bring a point to where you now can be a parent to take care of your children, and you just humanize them. You realize they were just humans. And listen, for us as Christians, for us who to honor our father, our mother, it is important, and it's also important for us to take the mantle to say, we are the ones that should share Christ and God and relationship understanding who is honor your father and your mother. Number two, he says, you shall not murder. So, man, finally one I can keep, all right? All right, you say, man, all right, murder. All right, we think of murder as taking, one another's, uh, taking another person's life. This is the definition of, of a, without a justifiable cause. Now, on the surface, this seems outrageous, right? This seems like, all right, majority of the people has this covered. There's no doubt. But Jesus expands this in the New Testament. He expands this in the New Testament for us to understand this. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, he says this, you have, heard it, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be, called, uh, shall be in danger of the judgment. Uh-oh, pastor. 
You mean to tell me that long before the physical act of murder, it boils down to the desire of my heart and anger towards somebody? Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. This is not just the physical act. It's the anger that we have in our heart or desire to do harm to someone. Think about this. How many, how many relationships has anger ruined? How, how many churches has anger ruined? How, how many uh, 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 nations have been ruined by anger? Listen, when we come to murder and we think about anger, it's, it's important for us to, to really deal with it in our hearts because you cannot be wrong with people and right with God. Listen, if you have hate or anger in your heart towards someone else, you, you're leaving yourself open. You're leaving yourself open to consequences, and it will only lead to destruction in relationships and broken fellowship with God. He will not. As a matter of fact, Jesus was so serious about this. He said that when you come to the altar and you come to pray and you come to worship God and you have a fault against your brother, he said, you go leave and make that right before you even give your offering. And he says, you make sure your hearts are pure and clean of anger because when it gets into your life, it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your relationship with your kids. And he said, do not murder, but the desire of anger in our heart is what he's talking about. And he's saying, do not have it. Do not let it dwell in your heart. Number three, the third one today, he says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery is the act of sexual conduct with someone other than your spouse. And let me tell you, the physical act of adultery has ruined many marriages. Let me tell you, uh, adultery without question is not to be excused. It is never to be justified. It is something in our marriages that we must protect. And we must draw the line and say, this should not happen in our marriage. This will not happen in our marriage. The physical act of adultery has ruined countless numbers of lives. And listen, not only this, but just with murder. Jesus expands even on this, and he says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he says, you have heard it said that those, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. Man, Jesus takes it to the same level and says, it's not just the physical act of adultery, it's the desire in our heart. It's the desire to do those things. And Jesus gets to the root of the physical long before we play it out in the physical. It happens in the desires of our heart. And listen, like he said, this is the depth of the commandments he's given to us. This is the depth that we have, not just obedience on the outward, but understanding our hearts are changed. And Deuteronomy really gets to the root of that. And you say, well, what do you mean by your heart? How do we protect our heart? Well, let me tell you how you protect your heart. By, your, by, your, the gates, by the gateways to it. You say, what's a gateway to your heart? Well, your eyes are a gateway to your heart. Let me tell you, what we see goes right into our hearts. And listen, that's why it's so puzzling. It's so hard uh, for us as Christians to understand that when we live in the world that we live in with technology and, and on people's phones and people's iPads and people's computers with all the pornography and fornication and all the stuff that we can see, if you see it with your eyes, guess where it goes? Right into your hearts. And listen, for us as parents and for us as, as grandparents, we must be careful. We must be sure that we know that that as that comes into their heart, eventually it's going to work itself out. And we must protect our eyes as much as we can. Listen, I know you're not going to be able to keep everything out of your kid's life and everything out of your own eyes, but we must protect them. We must make an effort to ask God to protect our eyes. You know, another one is our ears. Listen, when we hang around other people that influence us in such a way, it's only a matter of time when that's going to get into our heart. 
And that's why for us as, as adults at work, you shouldn't have relationships with the opposite sex that lead you into a point to where you want, would want to commit adultery or have relationships with somebody outside of your marriage. That's why it's so important not to talk to people who have trouble with their marriage or not to talk to people that want to talk about those things because it's important to guard your ears, what you hear, what we see, what we hear, and then our minds. Dr. Lindsay at First Baptist used to say, your mind is the original computer, right? What, comes, what goes in uh, comes out. And listen, if we, with our thoughts, if we begin to think about those things and we begin to put them in our heart, eventually what's going to happen? We're going to act on those things. And so, yes, the adultery is the physical act, but yet we must address the desire of the heart. And much deeper than that, we must, desire, we must protect the gateways to our heart. And the gateway to our heart, our eyes, and our ears, and our thoughts. And these things in our life, we shouldn't be thinking about these things. We should be thinking about godly things. And when it's in our heart, it won't be long until we're acting upon it. You shall not commit adultery. The fourth one for today, you shall not steal. To steal means to take something from someone that is not rightfully yours. This is verse 19, by the way. You shall not steal. It's when we desire to have something and instead of working for it or waiting for God to provide for it, we just take it from someone else. We just go over there and take it. And stealing is not just uh, taking from people. It also is from companies or people where you would take something without no intent to pay for it. Like opening a credit card to run it all the way up and never paying a payment on it. Or buying a car and then taking it and never making a payment or a house and doing the same thing. Taking something that you, don't, that you did not work for or God did not provide and you take it anyways. That, that is stealing. And God says, do not steal in our hearts. We should not see it and take it. We should be willing to work for it and wait for it. Man, let me tell you, we in our culture today don't want to hear that, do we? As of anything else that we've lost in American culture is, is, is the ability and the understanding of how important work is in people's life. We want something for free. We want something for nothing. And if you take something for nothing, you take something you haven't rightfully worked for or something that you did not, that God has not provided, it's stealing. And God says, do not steal. You work for it and you wait for God to provide it. And if you don't have it, then don't steal it. Don't take it. And, and he says straight up, do not steal. Fifth one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this one, to bear false witnesses, verse 20. So to bear false witness and not tell the truth about someone or to, be, uh, to not be truthful. I like to call this one liar, liar, pants on fire commandment, right? That's what this one is. Uh, you have rightful say when someone tells you a lie, you can say, you know you shouldn't be lying because that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But listen, when we lie, it, it, it causes all sorts of pain. How many people's lives have been destroyed because of lies? How many relationships get destroyed because of lies? And lies turn into lies, and you always got to cover your lies with more lies. And lies always create this way, and not only just lying here as well, it encompasses bearing false witness against your neighbor. It includes slander. Always talking bad about someone. You ever met someone, and the first thing they always want to talk about is somebody else and how bad they are? That's slander. Gossip, telling something about someone else, hateful speech, and everything in between, it's purposely misleading or lying that will bring harm to some way. And somehow God says, you shall not lie, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his donkey, his ox, or anything that is your neighbor's. Think about it. 
Last one, the covet means to desire something that belongs to someone else. It literally, at the root of it, means you're not content with anything that God has provided for you. And let me tell you, you will never live a peaceful life. You'll never live a life blessed by God if you're constantly desiring something that He hasn't given you. If you have a desire and you have this comp, uh, competition, uh, one way of phrasing it is trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? You're always wanting a different car or a different house or to outdo someone else or to have more than someone else or to covet something that someone else has. Paul tells us in the New Testament, he says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That is fully satisfied with what God has provided for you that you do not desire anything or anyone else in your life. Man, what a, what a way to live. You say, all right, well, we see we sprinted through these things. And I hope through these things, I want you to get the overall thrust of them. And as we close, I really want to bring this up to date to impact how we walk with our God. Our walk with God is led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and He gives us fruit. And as we yield to God, He produces joy. He produces peace. He, he produces kindness and gentleness and love and all the fruits of the Spirit. But when we don't, then we break fellowship with God. Then all of a sudden, our joy and our peace and our contentment, all that stuff goes out the window. And you say, well, how important are the commandments? Are, did they change? Did God change in the New Testament? Well, let me give you some pa a passage of Scripture from the New Testament, from Ephesians chapter 4 of Paul, talking about our walk, and see if you can identify any commandments in this, okay? Ephesians 4, 25-32, you can write this down, you can go back and look at it later. It says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him, who who let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but is what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. I mean, does that not bring these commandments full circle? And in our hearts and lives today, you say, what if, it, what if I tell a lie? What if I have desire in my heart for another person? What if I, 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 I do these things to my neighbors? What difference does it make? It makes a difference because you grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in our life is what guides us and brings us through these things. And to walk in full fellowship with God and to be in the middle of His will, you must be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when you do these commandments... They come full circle. When you break them, you break fellowship with God. And unfortunately, we pay the consequences. Listen, there are consequences in our life that will come in our marriage when we don't have a marriage that's walking in fellowship with God. There are consequences that will come in our families with our kids when we don't walk in fellowship with God. There are consequences that will come in our church when we don't walk in fellowship with God. Those are the things we don't want in our life. And God says, I love you. You are my people. I am your God. But here are some guideposts that I want you to understand in your life. Not to punish you. Not to make you do them. But as you desire these things, you'll have the heart of God and you will take the promised land and you'll see God do something in your life that he could never do any other way. Let's pray together this morning.